Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Isusu Christu. Please be seated. So for the pilgrims that are here, we put the relics of our Holy Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, out in that globe over there with candles by it. There are three relics of our Blessed Mother there. Uh, one is her girdle, piece of her clothing. One is a scraping from the wall where she nourished the, the Christ child with her milk. And the third one, the most valuable, is a little bit of her hair. Now, they'll tell you that there are no first-class relics of Our Lady, but that's, they're just ignorant of these. And uh, the hair is first-class. And, of course, they're a great treasure to the monastery. So we put them out today on the holy table there at the side and the icon of Mary, help of mothers, that you might venerate them, say some prayers, especially you ladies that need special help, and dads, all those people. We're very blessed to have these gifts from God. My text this morning is from the Gospel. There should be one flock and one shepherd. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. As we approach the holy and great feast of the Incarnation of our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, we have been dwelling on our Lord in our Gospels and, of course, in our talks. I remember Bishop Thomas, I used to be a cinchillist in the Northwest, and uh, he'd call me, so we had to go visit a priest or one or another. And usually the message he was giving them was, on Sunday, preach the gospel. Because, just like everybody else, priests get taken up in the political situation or some other situation in the world, and they're inclined to talk about those things. But, we are actually only to preach the gospel on the Lord's Day. There are two gospels that are read on the Lord's Day. If you go to the Matin service, there's always a resurrection gospel read. And there are 11 of them in the gospel book, and they rotate. And, of course, that is the Gospel of Sunday. But there's another series of Gospels that we read that are liturgically bent toward the holidays. And now we're uh, approaching the great feast of Incarnation, and we're talking about them. And we're reading them. And in your homes, you're praying. And, of course, Monday... The Philippian uh, feast, we uh, start the fast for 
the great and holy feast of incarnation of our Lord. <coughs> now, I know the bishops are sort of frightened of you people, but I'm not. So when they publish the how you're supposed to keep the fast, it's sort of minimal. And I think we don't need minimal Christians. We need Christians that are on fire with God. So I'll tell you what the monks do. Not that you have to do all that. But uh, we fast Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays throughout the year except Paschal time. And doing these fasts, we feast all the five days of the week for meat and dairy products. Now, some monks only have one meal a day, but we do have two. And so it's always a problem for the cook what to cook. Well, vegetables. And vegetable soups. And hard rolls. No butter. I went shopping last week at the wholesale market, and butter was... Five dollars a pound, wholesale. You don't need butter, but tastes good, doesn't it? You don't need that. Certainly not time the time of fast. Uh, now I had a dear friend, well not so dear, but sort of Father West, and he said, well the Christians they they fast, but they use all sorts of substitutes. Well, <laughs> it, it's okay. You can eat fish or something like that. But don't get the substitute meat and all that stuff. That's ridiculous. You're supposed to be giving that thing up. So Now the other thing you should do <coughs> is read the prophecies from the Old Testament and make your daily meditation on those prophecies. And then read the New Testament and figure out how they're fulfilled like Isaiah and all these wonderful things that were foretold about our Lord. Now, that is not my homily. My homily today is about the shepherd. Here on uh, this little farm we have here, we're not very good farmers, but we try. And uh, why I insist on keeping the animals, of course, we have eggs and things like that for sale, but we don't have many customers. I insist on that for two reasons. Number one, that the monks should be uh, familiar with life, how things are conceived, how things are born, and what great care it takes to bring them to maturity. Yeah, and it's important that they be close to the soil and work in the soil. So Seraphim, the great monk, uh, he uh, would get distractions, you know, like everybody does, and he couldn't pray too well. So he always had some hobby he did. I think he did woodworking, and he'd make things, and he had a cellmate, and they would make things and uh, until he could get back in the groove and pray properly. Interesting. 
So all these things around us, they also teach us about the creative word of God, that all this stuff is around us. Now, we think of a word, and I remember in seminary, it was the most difficult thing for me to think about God as a word. It just didn't register in my pea brain, you know. But it's in the scriptures, in the New Testament. And it says, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We don't look too closely at the Holy Trinity because it's a wonderful mystery. And remember, we can't discover God. We can't know him in his nature. But he has made us and he's spoken to us in his revelation. And I always tell those people that have doubts about revelation, it's the only truth we have. Now the three, the saint that we celebrate today, St. John Chrysostom, he was a great preacher. In Constantinople, the wonderful indoor sport was to go to the Hagia Sophia and listen to a three-hour sermon. Can you imagine? If I go over a half hour, they're, they're all upset. The poor parish priest, he has to preach for 15 minutes. Ridiculous. What can you say in 15 minutes? So anyway, you're captive in this monastery. You just have to put up with me in my preaching. The word of God is tailored for man. We receive it in many ways. We receive it by, if we're lucky, we have good hearing and it's preached to us. If we're literate, we can sit down and read the Word of God, not necessarily understanding it. But we also can read, uh, understand, and read the great preachers of the church. And John Chrysostom was one such preacher. His name means, uh, in Greek, Zlata Usta, the golden mouth. Uh, the every word that came from his lips was very valuable. He had one fault, however. He told the truth. So he got in trouble with the Empress Eudoxia, especially because she put a little silver statue, or maybe not so little, in the square in front of the cathedral. She had a high opinion of herself. In today's epistle, we're worried, worried, uh, God is worried about that. He's telling us not to be arrogant and self-centered. We are poor little creatures in need of the saving power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Trinity. Ultimately, God's love is unbelievable because he sent his divine son into the world 
as a man to preach his words in a language we could understand. The language we understand, my dear brothers and sisters, is always the language of love, the language of the heart. And it's on the lips of Jesus Christ. The Father sent him to say those things. They were not well received. They ultimately, he died on the Holy Cross. He said to his Father, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. But immediately, the spirit descended upon the earth. The third person of Blessed Trinity. And in the early church, there were two great councils, Nicaea, which taught us the reading of the incarnation that Jesus Christ is truly God, and then Chalcedon and man, and finally about the divinity of the Holy Spirit, that where there were three persons in one God and two natures in Christ, and all this to communicate to us the reality of our Heavenly Father's love and desire. This this saint today, Chrysostom, did the best job with that. He was not rewarded in this life. The empress had him walked to death. I can hardly walk the way I am these days. I couldn't imagine getting down the hill, you know. So it must have been a terrible way to go. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the message of the gospel is, of course, always the resurrection. That's the epitome of the gospel. But the resurrection gospel is because Jesus came and rose from the dead and he shares that new life with us. Now, it may not mean a lot to you when you're young. But as you get older, you realize your days are growing short. And I've said this to you before. Many of the people, most of the people I have buried, their mortal remains, were young people, not old. Seems like old people learn how to take care of themselves well. They value their life. Young people don't always do that. We live in a society where they think that life is fun and games. And they take all sorts of drugs and they live like excessive, sexual excessives, monetary excesses, and they buy things they don't need, and then they go into debt, and then they're unhappy. Well, you should be unhappy. You should live a modest life, be careful of what the good things of the earth that God has given you, and be generous with the poor, including the church, 
Catholic Church, United States, has become very poor because of all these lawsuits. And the church pays them off. I think that's a mistake. They came to me to pay off a lawsuit. I wouldn't speak to them in English. I speak Ponashemo in Slavonic and pretend like I didn't understand what they were saying. Money comes hard for the church. But people think if they can amass all this money and they advertise it on the news about these very wealthy people who are wanting to control everything, including you and your life, which is sad. Who should control us is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ who came to us through his incarnation to be the primal source of the Holy Spirit for us. In John's Gospel, it says he sends the Spirit upon the world. And he's doing that, that he, it says in the Gospel, the first around the 14th chapter, that he and the Father are one, and we should be one with the Father in him. So Paul, he got the message. He said, I live, not I, but Christ lives in me. Now, you know, when you're going to have a wonderful guest at your home, you clean the house, which is probably a month's job, and you put out your best china and your best linen, and you make some very nice food, because you're going to have a special guest. Christ always comes to us with the best of food in the Holy Eucharist. You must prepare for that by living a devoted, disciplined life. So I think the second chapter, so a little bit into Matthew, he tells us about the commandments and the Beatitudes and things like that. But I think the most telling thing with Jesus is when he met this perfect young man. And he mentioned these things to him and he said, I've done all that. He said, then come and follow me. What did those words mean? They meant come and follow Christ to the cross. That the cross is the key to the glory of the resurrection. So this little baby that's going to be celebrate born at Christmas time, he's on a journey. And from the very moment he was conceived in his mother's womb by the Holy Spirit till his death on the cross, he was completing the will of the Father. He was on his journey. And then he rose from the dead. And in that resurrection, we all have life. You are the same. You're on your journey. But the most important journey is the interior journey of the heart, where you learn to pray, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But you attend to that every day.
So people come up to the monastery and they want spiritual direction. Well, I'm not a pundit, you know, I don't know everything about spiritual direction, but I've lived this life for many years, I know a little bit, and I know that every day we must give God quality time, prayerful time. In fact, Christ is more demanding than they, he says, pray always. Well, how can we pray always? We have so many things to do. Your work should be part of your prayer. Sometimes we forget that we're baptized and chrismated. And the life we live is not our own, but the life of Christ is in us. Sometimes we don't feel like that's true because we have so many problems or disappointments or things like that. Lay them down. Put them away. Don't think of yourself. Think of the God who dwells within you, Jesus Christ the Lord, through his divine energies, which come from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, as we approach the great feast of Christmas, In every feast, we're learning something about being a Christian. And the greatest teachers about that were John Chrysostom, Basil the Great, and Gregory Nazianzen, Simeon, the New Theologian, all these people. The depository of that knowledge is in the Eastern Catholic churches. But you know, we can do a la-di-da and this and that. We're busy, we're doing this, we're shopping, we're trying to get an education, all these things. What can you take with you when you fall asleep in the Lord? The Gospel says when we've done everything, we've done nothing. Well, I know we've done something. But what he's saying is, be consecrated to the Lord. Live the life the Lord lives. He gives you the power and grace in you. So Jesus in the gospel today said, I am the good shepherd. Now here on our little farm, we have sheep. Believe me, they're not too bright. In fact, they're not bright at all. But they're really no trouble to keep. But they have to be watched. If your sheep rolls over on his back with all that wool and everything, if the shepherd doesn't get out there and put him back up on his feet, he'll die because he can't can't wiggle his feet and stand back up. That's what you are, my dear little sheep. You can do nothing without the Lord. And he says, I am the good shepherd. He's saying, I've come for the hopeless, the sorrowing, the sick, the disappointed, those who do not feel loved. I've come for all of them. I am the good shepherd. And he wants to put you back on your feet.
that's accomplished by a very deep, serious life of prayer. It takes time. It takes effort. But it's worth it because sooner or later you fall into love. And then you realize I'm not the middle of the universe. What I want is not necessarily what I should have. What I should have is the living Christ in his energies in my soul. And my soul dwells in my heart. And my heart is a peace, place of love. It's a deep place of love. Why? Because the energies of the Holy Trinity dwell there in you. Now, how do I deal with those energies? By prayer. Well, some of you, well, I don't understand what these energies are. Well, they're grace that comes from the Father through the Son, in part by the Holy Spirit. That's what John Chrysostom said. He says we should live for these things above all others. Because we are temples of the Spirit of God. So as you prepare for uh, uh, Christmas, I want you to do it spiritually if you want to make me happy, but make God happy. May everything you do make God happy. And may your every breath be a prayer. That's why you say the Jesus prayer. And when you're working in the home or out at work, whatever you're doing, Remember, you're doing all that for the love of God. And you will be richly rewarded. You will not be like the rich young man who walks away. You will say, Jesus, give me more. Help me see the light. And make me your clay in your hands. And make me in the image of your son. And do not let me be found wanting. Those gifts can only come from the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit. That's where you live, and that's where you pray. In the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.